Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks, I'm Carl Hartley And I'm Max Peterson And you're listening on Patreon.com. No, this is a main season one, right? Is this the third one? It is main season, yeah. You're not listening on (laughs) Patreon.com. www.patreon.com slash quillandfilm. Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M. Dude, I'm still getting used. I I love the format, but I am still getting used to the fact that every time we do an episode now, it ping-pongs back and forth between main season. From Patreon and and main season, yeah. (laughs) So I'm always fucked up. I, like, start the episode and I'm like, shit, is this the second or the third? Because all of our... All of our odd-numbered ones, our main season shows, all yes. of our even numbers are over on Patreon.com. Um, so this is if which this, you should be, he should be over there anyway. You he totally, really should be over you there. Really right? should. It's we're more loosey goosey over there. That's where we put. Not her that this intro. Not that this intro was like super tight. I <laughs> uh, know. I know. <laughs> Yeah, we 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 saved the main show for the all the shitty episodes where like we're we're all <laughs> we're waking up early, we're hungover. Patreon.com is where we've got that that down into the Miles Davis quintet, baby. We got five tight jazz musicians playing over there. We put the we put the pants on over there. Yeah, yeah, that's those are pants shows we call them. <laughs> um, plaid pants today. Pantreon. Oh my. <laughs> Plaid, plaidtreon.com. Plaidtreon. Yeah, anyway. Our, our discussion. Dude, what a great month. We are continuing our our, our April Fool uh, our April, April Fool series with Steve Martin. We're on week three of Steve Martin Flicks. Man alive. What I did not understand what this month was going to be, I'm but I Steve? am fucking so in love with it. Today we are talking oh. about 1982's uh, dead men don't wear plaid. Steve Martin, am Rigby Reardon in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Will two hundred dollars be enough in advance, Mister Reardon? Two hundred, I'd shoot my grandmother. No criminal is too tough for him. <laughs> no pain is too great. Where'd you learn that? At camp. No joke. Too disgusting. Do I look like a dame? Not as much as I do. I haven't turned on a charm yet. He'll laugh in the face of danger. He'll dace in the fange of laughter. I'm on an important case. I need your help. These people we're dealing with are killers. Oh, thanks for telling me. I'll say something like, uh, no, no, Ma, look, listen to me. He'll do anything in the quest for the elusive Academy Award. Sorry. You'll get action, romance, danger, sliding, animal impressions, comedy. Comedy! Comedy! And drama. When Steve Martin, Rachel Ward, Carl Reiner, and Steve Martin... Schweinhund jerk. ...find out why dead men don't wear plaid. You're through. What a guy. I think that's impressive. The people who brought you the jerk try to make it up to you. <laughs> what 
What a great fucking trailer. When the guys who made the, the jerk, jerk try to make it up to you. <laughs> All right, before we oh go, before we go any further, we'd like to take this moment to thank our wonderful patrons, the people over on the aforementioned patreon.com where you can go and listen to our last uh, our last Steve Martin movie where we covered The Man with Two Brains. Um, but yeah, so these are the people who support the show who keep the lights on, who keep our mics literally like in working, any semblance of working order. So if you can hear us, it's because of those patrons. Um, <laughs> so we would like to thank um, uh, uh, the, the inimitable, the wonderful and amazing Baloney Shoes. We'd like to thank <laughs> Leslie Ty, Cassandra, Jeffrey, Tiberius, Morgan the Third, the Second. Kevin Ramirez, Sister Sarah Hartley, who I'm hopefully going to be meeting later today for something very cool, which we'll tell you all about, probably over on Patreon.com mm-hmm, very shortly. That's where that news drops. Oh, most definitely. Um, the the elusive <laughs> and uh, elevated William Rockwood. He's becoming like a holy figure in my head, like yes. like some sort of like almost Buddha-esque like extra dimensional being he he likes my long walk with the king facebook post yesterday and i felt like a zen like like some sort of like blessing from the gods had kissed my facebook page it's (laughs) you're like is it really him or is it a spam account there's (laughs) (laughs) um we'd also like to thank brian jackson david rowney kelly and mike wagner daniele hartelli um connor sweeney and john and casey shiby Thank you all so much for your support and your love. We uh we hope that uh we hope you're digging Steve Martin as much as uh as we are. All right, so let's dive into it. 1982, yeah. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, directed by. So secretly, this was also like a Carl Reiner month because this is also directed by yes. Carl Reiner. Um, starring, dude. I don't think we've ever had a film that has a cast list like more star studded. This is the most not since it's a it's a long, 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 long movie. Did we have to (laughs) did we have a cast this star studded Um, starring Steve Martin, Rachel Ward, Alan Ladd, Shane himself. How many times have we talked about Shane without ever talking about Shane on this movie? Alan motherfucking Ladd is in this thing. Carl Reiner. Barbara Stanwyck, Ray Milland, X the Man with X-ray eyes himself, and our Phantom of the Opera. Um, Ava Gardner, Burt Lancaster, Humphrey Bogart, Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, Kirk Douglas, Edward Arnold, Lana Turner, Betty Davis, Veronica Lake. Dude, the Veronica Lake bit is hilarious. If there's two words that are not in this woman's vocabulary, it's I can't. I can't. Listen, baby, I need you to do something for me. I can't. Apparently, she'd added them to her vocabulary since the last time I saw her. End scene. <laughs> End scene. Vincent Price, Rennie Santoni, Joan Crawford, and James Cagney. Dude, it is a who's who of crime noir. Uh, this movie, Carl, this movie is so unbelievable, unbelievably yep. brilliant. Of the three Steve Martins so far, this is by far my favorite. When, when, the, when the opening titles uh, started... And there was that the original Universal logo, and I the score spun up. Right. And I remember this is one of my favorite movies. I mean, I, there's a, there's a reason why I picked Steve Martin for this month, and I picked these movies. They're four of my favorite movies, Hard Stop, and four of my favorite Steve Martin movies. So this is the crown jewel of Steve Martin and Carl Reiner for me. Because not only are we talking about Demon Don't Wear Plaid, we're also talking about 
The Gun for Hire, The Glass Key, Double Indemnity, The Lost Weekend, The Killers, Deception, Humoresque, The Big Sleep, right. Dark Passage, White Heat, Johnny Eager, Keeper of the Flame, The Postman Always Rings Twice, The Bribe, Suspicion, Notorious, I Walk Alone, Sorry Wrong Number, and In a Lonely Place. Right. This, right. <laughs> so... the, the conceit of this film, the way that this is put together is so brilliant and i think for this time period so unique we've, we've there is yes. another movie kind of like this that i'm sure we all saw in high school it's called kung pao into the fist and i used to think that that movie was genius because of how it intercuts in um like martial arts an old movie. kung fu movie yeah and it, it's it is it truly it's the way they edited in the the overdubbing is hilarious but this movie this is like the high watermark of this particular mm-hmm. type of film because it's steve martin going through like an investigation and they're inter and they're cutting in films or scenes from famous crime noir films and having Steve Martin act back and forth with performers Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yeah, with Humphrey Bogart and James Cagney and Lana Turner and um it's amazing. I as you were reading off those titles, I realized that um we've got James M. Kane novels in here. We've got Dashiell yep. Hammett and we have mm-hmm. Raymond Chandler. The three the three authors who are like most represented by that list are like the three who defined that the early, genre. Yeah, that yep. early detective fiction, you know, she walked into my office at quarter past 2 and I was a two quarters full of gin or whatever, you know, like yeah. that that is these those are the titans of this. And yes. My god, dude. This movie is hysterically funny. Um first note Steve Martin as Harrison Ford? Kind of. Uh, you don't really see him with dark hair uh, ever and quite as dapper and quite as... Um... I think it's more than that, dude. Bird watched this with me, and the whole time I was so struck. He... There are... There are if you catch... If the camera catches him at the right angle, he looks like Harrison like Ford. Like Harrison Ford? And yeah. he, all through this movie, I, I think it's partly like he's doing the lower voice for the detective... He mm-hmm. sounds like if you close your eyes, you, he's indistinguishable from like Harrison Ford's Indiana. Jones. Oh, that's wild! I've never like try, try it. that. Next time you watch it, like sit back and close your eyes. It's nuts. It's like you know, like so. What are you doing over there, Dame? Yeah, sure. He's got the growl. He's got the sn- like his. There's even moments where like his lip will come up and like that like half little... that half Harrison Ford smile. I'm yeah. I'm not even positive that it, it's not a conscious like impression or or you know how like when did indiana jones come out no you got me curious now i'm just so curious because like we talked um i think it was last week or the week before we talked or no it was during the mashup trivia we we were talking about how Mm. jim carrey was inspired by sean connery to do his yes yes famously kurt russell did uh clint eastwood when he played snake in um escape from new york and he did um john wayne in big trouble in little china Indiana Jones was a year before. It was nineteen eighty one. The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. I don't know, man. It 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 might just be as simple as like just impersonating Harrison Ford the person or something. I don't yeah. know. Or it's just some f- freak of audio where I'm telling you, it's Steve Martin. It's it's eerie and uncanny. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and well, especially. I don't have to watch it again. I will enjoy watching. You probably it again. should watch it again. Um, especially. I was thinking about this too, especially where we end up with. Um, Steve Martin in a Nazi scientist lair at the end. It's just like 
I loved it, man. I, Secretly an Indiana Jones movie. With a little touch of James Bond with him in exactly. his white tux, you know? It's just... God, and he looks so good in it, too. He does look good in that white suit. You didn't do what I asked you to. You know I hate that stupid way of wearing this shirt. <laughs> Here, put a tie on, for God's sake. <laughs> what, does he, what does he say? He goes, um, uh, he's like, do me a favor and wear this. It's a clip-on. He hands him the, bow, right. the bow tie. Oh, my God. Um... All right, so it's a clip on. So right out the gates, tell me when did you first see this? Is this one of your childhood flicks, or did you discover this? This is childhood, man. This is like this came out in 1982. Yeah, I think we probably rented it from USA Video or whatever in town in Big Rapids, like as a new release Mm -hmm. on VHS or Beta or whatever the fuck they had in 1982. I think like three people in town had an actual VCR, so. It was maybe 84, 85 before we actually got to watch it. But right. yeah, as soon as it was commercially available for at-home viewing is when when we first uh, first got a chance to watch it. So yeah, I was like seven, eight, nine, maybe I, 10 years old. I think that this, the fact that this came out in 82, I think is one of the big reasons that it works so well. Obviously, there's a there's massive love from the, the director, from Steve Martin. Yes. They love this genre. This is such a like... Super clear, right? Because if they didn't love it, it would just be hokey. And so, there's so much love and intention with every clip that was selected and where and how it's used. Yeah, right, right. right. And like the the way that it's approached, even when they're making fun of it, it's never like at at film noir's expense. It's always kind of nope. like playing in the ridiculous tropes of the genre. But yeah. What I was thinking was the Steve Martin scenes. This the like the new the new film that they actually filmed for the movie looks right like Mm -hmm. they they get they catch that black and white feel you know sometimes when like a movie is clearly shot in color and then just made black and white in post or whatever and also because this is 82 it's shot on film still so it's got that like kind of warmer film stock Mm -hmm. feel where there it it just it really really fits there's actually some scenes where they were cutting to old movies where i didn't even realize initially that it was an old movie they were cutting to Mostly, like, there's some scenes where the only thing that tips you off to the fact that he's talking to... A little, like, little scratch on the... There, yeah, there might the be, film. like, a film scratch, or <clears throat> if Steve Martin sets up, like, an absolutely absurd joke that could only possibly <laughs> exist to explain some right. weird bit of dialogue, you know? my I think my favorite example is, like, ah, uh, yeah, back when I knew her, she used to buy day-old bread from the store and then toast it to cover up. I wonder if she's changed. Oh, the bread's gone off a little bit. Do you want me to toast it? Same old Margaret. Same old Margaret. <laughs> she used to keep she used to keep smoked turkey in the refrigerator until it went until it almost went bad, and then she would give it to the she'd give it to the maid. Oh, the uh, there's some turkey in the fridge. Do you want, there's some turkey in the fridge? I thought the the maid was going to eat it. But like he he he'll tell some like stupid backstory just to explain a bit of incidental dialogue, which is a hilarious recurring Or he'll say something crazy like, um, I'm going to my mom's house for whatever. (laughs) Then the character will say that. Well, the Cary Grant Grant one's one of my favorite. When Cary Grant sits down and he's like, you don't smoke, do you? And he goes, no, I've got tuberculosis. Well, thank heavens for that. Heavens for that. (laughs) 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 Oh, so... Let's go to the top because yes. it'll be the easiest way to uh, to move through the movie a little bit, especially oh, because 
because now we've got the hat trick of movies of Steve Martin movies with vaguely troubling things in them. I mean, we're it's, not five minutes in, and it's or not even two minutes in. And I know Bird was Bird sat down to watch the beginning with me, and it was like two and a half minutes in or whatever when we get to that first little joke, and she's like. Wow, you guys are three for three. I was like, I know, I don't know what the fuck is going on with these Carl Reiner movies, but dude, they're forcing us through some hoops. All right, so, wow. Uh, Rachel Ward, I can't remember the character name. I just, every time I see her, I just think Rachel Ward. One second, because um, I forgot it too. We're horrible at character names on I know, this show. That's why four, we years, four fucking years in, it's Juliet, Juliet Forrest. Right, is her right. Name. So Juliet walks into the that's another fucking great joke the uh uh uh, what is it lumber baron forest or oil baron forest killed in mysterious accident or whatever and then the back one dodgers win the dodgers (laughs) yeah dodgers win the world series or whatever and she comes in and sees the newspaper and faints and then he picks it up the wrong (laughs) way dodgers fan yeah he's like i'm sorry i saw the newspaper you must be one hell of a Dodgers fan. No, no, the <laughs> front page. <laughs> oh my god! But um, so Rachel Ward comes in and sees, uh, sees Steve Martin reading this newspaper. Rigby, right? Is that his name? Yeah, R- Rigby Reardon. Rigby Reardon. So she, he's. She, I just looked it up. <laughs> she cut Juliet. I'll work on it. Juliet comes in and sees Rigby reading um. The newspaper and she sees you know she's reminded of her father's mysterious death which is what she's here to hire him to investigate but she faints and like faints into his arms and the there are the, like the what bookends this this bit of physical comedy is fucking hilarious him like shaking her to try and wake her up shake 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 yeah shake 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 shake, he, like, shake shake he shakes her up and down and then he shakes her side to side and her head's like just wobbling back and forth and he gives and he like looks around and he like uh Gives her like another shake. There's a couple. There's a couple moments in here where I think you can see like the Seth MacFarlane Family Guy inspiration yeah. for like repetitive jokes popping up. But I also like the needlepoint of um of uh, Marlowe's like. Don't b- ever bu- fall in love with a woman yeah, or whatever. D- don't ever fall in love with a client. Um, yes. And he goes, bullets don't kill detectives. Love does or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like in the in the fucking medicine cabinet, there's needlepoint with fucking Marlowe reminding him not to fall in love with his client. But uh, so I guess you just kind of gotta tell, you gotta say what it what happened. So like, yeah, Rigby definitely like looks down at her and he's like, I'd never seen a woman woman like her before. She was one in a million. And then he kisses her like a yeah, big old full, like, uh, mouth kiss. It's a big old full on movie star, you know. And then shakes her again. Powder, powder filter kiss. I know, like, the, it's so fucked up. It's the same thing with I all know. the other jokes and the other two, where it's like you see it and you're like, God. Ugh. And then he shakes her again, and you're like, I, I can't stop laughing. It's too funny. <laughs> it's horrible. It's it's horrible, but it's so yes. fucking funny, dude. Like when he when he breaks off the kiss and then shakes her again, back side to side, and you're like, All right, well, I'm glad we got through that. But you would be but wrong. then yeah, we're not done yet. You'd be yeah. wrong if you thought you were through. Um. Now, the next bit, it's definitely not good, but I think the movie does kind of, kind of, not, not, it doesn't earn the next joke, but it at least, like, there, there's something that happens in the end of this movie that in a weird way kind of, Kind of like, is like a little bit of recovery from, right, or, or addressing that, that that was inappropriate, perhaps, yeah, in yeah. some way. In, in a yeah. way, it kind of, it kind of creates a tit for tat 
yep. feeling or like maybe it doesn't like take the teeth out of the out of the neck. Not at all. So what happens is he carries her over to the couch and lays her down and he like starts like he grabs her boobs and he's yep. just kind of like you know massaging her boobs. It's definitely not it's not awesome to see. But she wakes up and there's a little joke where she's like what are you doing and he's like uh, I'm. He's like, I'm rearranging. I was, ad- I was adjusting your breasts. You fainted, and they fell a lot of whack. <laughs> they and fell she a says, lot of whack. Yeah. Thank you. But, yeah, she goes, thank you. And then, but at the very end of the film, when they have fallen in love and the mystery is solved, and oh, spoilers! Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys knew <laughs> this, but the Steve Martin comedy movie has a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> so when they're at the end, they like embrace, you know, and they're they've got a very like. Like uh, he, like a hero kiss at the end, you know. Their music is swelling, and then suddenly he goes like, ah, ah, "What are you doing?" And she goes, "I'm adjusting your willy." When you fell through that window, it got all out of whack, <laughs> and so we we get. It definitely doesn't like Control Z the first joke, but in a not weird, at all in a weird way watching it. Even Bird was like, "Okay, well at least she got you know she got hers." Exactly. But, there is kind of like at that point they have a, an established relationship. Mm-hmm. The dang- she's not a stranger on his doorstep that fainted and is at his correct mercy. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they, have, they now have like an established power dynamic and like yes, exactly. There's a clear there's clear intention here. It's anyway, and I feel like that's really the that is the not that it, that excuses it, but I think that that's the only moment of real like problematic stuff in the, on the, on the whole flick because at, at that point he's just like he's he's into her and he's like wants to he's falling in love with her but doesn't want to fall in love with her because of all of the advice left in needlepoint around the office right 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 i would i i think i agree with you i think I, he might like adjust her boobs one more time throughout the right. movie i think they do sting that joke one more time to remind us so that they can do the willy joke the, right? the willy joke at the end right but i do think that by that second time they're kind of already into each other a little bit but yeah I they've, would... should, they've shared cigarettes they've had intimate moments she sucked bullets out of his shoulder like out of the same hole <laughs> that, dude that God is damn, that's the... never gonna heal that's never gonna heal <laughs> he just keeps getting shot in the same bullet wound in his shoulder that has got to be one of the that's brilliant. That joke is brilliant. How he just keeps getting shot in the same place. Oh my god, it's outstanding. And I love with um the Rennie Santoni character when he's like, "You've been shot." He goes, "It's okay. I'll go home and have my wife suck it out for me." Like it's this is just a common method of removing bullets. Of removing, yes. That <laughs> everyone learns at camp, but it's te- technically for snake bites. Right, right. It well, works for everything. Dude, that okay. So this movie's rated PG. This is something we should mm-hmm. talk about. I cannot believe. This is this movie is an amazing example of how you can write totally clean and imply super dirty tier filth, dude. This movie is so fucking dirty. It's yep. unbelievable. Some parts of this movie are like sexy enough to have you like kind of kind of loosen in the collar yep. on your couch. It's, yep. This is a steamy fucking movie for PG. That's yeah. and that's one of them too. Like, where'd you learn that? A camp. It's actually for snake bites, but I find it works for everything. And like, just G-g-g-g. yeah, part of it's the performance beats too. Like everyone, everyone knows that they they hit that. Oh, like, everyone's on the inside track, man, for sure. Like um, <laughs> they know me, what's going on. How about the the one the one that like really got where it is, is it for me? The I can't find the exact line, but it's the it's the moment when oh yeah, here it is. You uh, 
You stuck my fin- you stuck your finger in my bullet hole. Oh my god. Like dude, that um uh, that reminded me of what I think is probably the sexiest line is when she says uh, and you can call me sometime. You know how a phone works. You just put your little finger in the hole and make little circles. And make little circles and he's like uh, uh, um the the uh oh, man, I wish I could find that. Well, I guess we'll we'll reach it eventually. Yeah, we'll we go get in to order. It. So the one of the things we talked a little bit about how the structure is like really cool seeing seeing him interact with um Humphrey Bogart is some of those exchanges are my my all-time favorite yeah. where he's talking to um to Philip Marlowe but it's really it's really kind of fucking interesting how they weave one coherent plot from all these bits and pieces mm-hmm. of other films like well the plot is using well, like figuring out a way to age cheese more quickly to to end world hunger, and that turns into a weapon that can destroy it. Cheese the mold, world, cheese mold, cheese mold can... bombs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's, it's but we have the whole enemies of Carlotta and friends of Carlotta, and that right. whole like that the meat of the investigation, right? That yeah, how incredible that they are able to get those pieces to weave. Right. That, through, and like, like saying. okay, so like Carlotta. Okay, well uh and then later on when they have him look at the map and Carlotta's clearly been drawn in. That's like yes. one of my favorite moments. <laughs> he's like now tell me tell me what's near there. You know, like they managed to weave their own plot from like the all these disparate plot points. My favorite is Play a, Brazil on the map. Got it. Yeah, he spins right to Brazil, and he goes right. He goes right to the right city, and then he goes straight to Carlotta. But I love like the dollar bill in the sugar bowl, because yes, you know, like some in some other movie, there's a dollar bill in the lid of a sugar bowl, and you know whoever wrote this, I'm assuming it's like at least I think Steve Martin and Carl Reiner had writing credits. And there's, but I yeah, there's positive. one. There's one other writer. There there were three writers on the flick. Um, it's Carl Reiner, George Guype, and um Steve Martin. Yeah. So like that, the fact that they had like okay, we're gonna have a torn corner of a dollar bill in the in the modern movie. Now we'll weave in this other. He goes essentially. Rigby has to go into another film and interact with yeah. like another film plot to get that dollar bill out of the sugar bowl. That's so fucking cool, it's man. It's so fucking awesome. And then he takes that dollar bill from film A and he goes and brings that list into some other totally unrelated movie, but it's re- it's hard to explain unless you have seen this film, but every yeah. But no, that's a perfect example, though, because he has to steal a piece of evidence from movie A right. to bring back to our current movie, Dead Men Don't Wear a Plaid, right. to then investigate with that piece of evidence in movie C. Right, yeah. He he will like call up um, Philip Marlowe and talk to him about the evidence that he just got from the James M. Cain novel adaptation. Yes, yes. And then he goes and asks help from Veronica Lake in, or, you know, he gets, he's getting attacked from by Vincent Price. Yep. And, and I, the way that they edit it is their dialogue, like the, the these old movie stars, they pick moments of dialogue that are ambiguous enough that they totally mm-hmm. apply to this new, completely... Previously non-existent, totally unrelated plot, but it all makes perfect sense. Like Vincent Price is like yelling at us, right? He's like, you know, like like your death will look like an accident. And Steve Martin is like cut into this footage, and Vincent Price is smothering him with a pillow, and the like being smothered with a pillow, and their dialogue as they shout back and forth, 
you would never know that yep. you would never know that it, unless you know you know that this is a 1982 film and Vincent Price was a lot older than he looks here. That's so that was my question watching through this. So when I watched this in 1982, I was very much aware of The Big Sleep and all the Philip Marlowe movies and like the, aware of Cary Grant and all. I feel like in 2021, if a 10-year-old were to sit down and watch Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, would they think it's all one just old movie? Some some parts of it, I think the quality is different enough that you can spot what's happening. But for right. some of those, like the better shot films that where they had like really quality stock, a lot of the Philip Marlowe ones, um, the one that Veronica Lake is in. Yeah. Um, those look close enough because like we said at the beginning, Carl Reiner really nailed the feel of like those older movies. It's pretty. Yeah, the setups are all like. Like, of this, of the style of the genre. I mean, I'm aware of a lot of these films, and I was, I was stumped by some of the, like some of the shots. It took me all the way through the scene, and then I'm like, oh my god! Oh, that was a thing. That was a cut in because you realize like they're never on screen together. They're just doing over the shoulder stuff. But I had no idea until I like put two and two together. I, I honestly think that some like if you watched this and didn't know any of these people going in. Probably half the half of those intercuts would be seamless. I think the know? Vincent Price thing, because that leads us all the way up to the finale. Right. Vincent Price takes a header on a fucking stairway in the middle of a of a um, of like the 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 Dead Festival or whatever. <laughs> like, bird, is that the one where he like lands directly on his head? It's got to be a dummy, right? Yeah, I don't know, man. I rolled it back a couple of times. I'm like, <laughs> oh if that's God. a stunt person, that was their last stunt. Right, right. We, I think we have to determine what happened there because that's either a best stunt nomination and, like, in memoriam or... Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, shit. We're going to have a very special reel oh my for God. our 2021 Quill and Filmies right. for whoever. And it's a, it'll be an award for Dead Men Don't Wear a Plaid, but more the movie that that was actually in what? that we accidentally saw because it's part of this movie. Right. It'd be like, remember that time that Dead Men Don't Wear a Plaid showed us an actual death? <laughs> that... <laughs> Thank you, Carl Reiner and Steve Martin. Wow, boy, those guys are bleak. I, if it's a dummy, it's some of the best dummy work I've ever seen. If it's yeah. not, though, it is a stuntman falling like a good six feet onto just his dome. So speaking of what, steps, concrete. So speaking steps. of that, since we're talking about the the meticulous nature of like weaving in those plot points, yeah. Do you did you find yourself like I'm already in love with this genre, the the noir, both in novel form, graphic novel, movie. Don't you just aren't you just dying to go back and like just watch all of these fucking flicks that we saw bits and pieces Dude, of? Completely. I recently, um, my grandma is another big, huge fan of uh, like crime noir, film noir type stuff. Yeah. And she sent me um, the Bogart Bacall version of The Big Sleep. Oh my and god. And she sent me um, a Blu-ray copy of The Maltese Falcon, and I recently rewatched both of those. For people who haven't seen it, I honestly think that. Um, one of the, I can't remember. There's a couple versions of it, but it's the oh, it's the Elliot Gould version of the Long Goodbye is outstanding. I think it's not underrated. It's like a widely known film, but right. I think for for fans of the Philip Marlowe character, the the Long Goodbye is no wait. Philip Marlowe is Dashiell Hammett. Who is the other guy? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, the Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould is absolutely amazing. That's based on a Raymond Chandler novel, different writer. <sighs> um. But yeah, so like I'm I'm it makes me want to go back and watch all this stuff, but even more so, it kind of makes me want to go back and read all of this stuff. You know, there's it's that the pulp 
nature of this genre. Mm-hmm. First of all, the pulp nature of this genre really comes through here. I think that's where a lot of the modern like Renaissance noir movies fail for me. Yeah. Is they they're too self-serious or they're aiming at some sort of everyone wants to be the Maltese Falcon, which is undoubtedly like right. you know, a literary accomplishment, but there's also like the Mike Hammer books and Raymond Chandler's like dirtier stuff. I feel like the new noirs are too slick and not gritty enough. So when you say new noir, my brain still goes to like Chinatown and the two Jakes, where that's not necessarily new noir. You're talking like new new noir. Well, new t- noir? like there was new new noir. <laughs> new new noir. New new noir. It's N N U umlaut new noir. Um, no, like there's a the one that I'm that's coming immediately to mind. I don't necessarily think it's a terrible movie, but like the film adaptation of um, the Black Dahlia, or okay. for example, this other movie. There was a movie called Gangster Squad that came out fairly recently. It had a big star-studded cast: Josh Brolin and uh, mm. Ryan Gosling. And it, oh, right, I saw the trailers for that. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's like we're gonna be a bunch of cops, and all we do is shoot the mafia, and we're we're cops on the on the law. I mean, outside the law, and it it was a lot of like the the dialogue was in that wheelhouse where it's like you're looking at me like you wanna. Like you want to eat me up or something like, no, right. darling, I just want to take you home to bed. Like it, it, but, but it was too, it was too slick, too polished. The edges are not, you need, you, I think that, and this is just an opinion, but I think right. when you're making this type of movie, you gotta, you honor the pulp by making yeah. the edges a little fuzzy. You know, you need a little bit of, of grit. It ne- you need to do this on on paper that's gonna yellow. It can't you know I mean? be new. Yeah, it can't be new shoe leather. It has to be shoes that have been walked in for, for a sure. while. I think that's I think that's when it's at its best. Like people get caught up in the glitz and glam of like, mm-hmm. and he wears a clean white suit. The suits and the, the yeah, exactly. They caught up, caught up in the fashion and the whole the style of it, but not the 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 meat and the soul of it. Right. Right. My favorite. Yeah neo-noir that like my, my my favorite modern noir if we're not counting blade runner 2049 which I think oh my i did watch that finally pretty good movie right it's one of the best goddamn things <laughs> i've ever seen max peterson i don't I know why to, people hate on it it's i so meant to text good. you when i finished because my jaw was fully on the floor it's wild how good that movie is dude dave, yeah dave batista crushes in it fucking anyway it's just incredible yeah but yeah you're right though that is i would consider that like science fiction slash noir i mean it lives in both worlds well the original blade runner was sure does it's so caught that noir vibe i think this this new one the 2049 does a great job but one of my favorite examples of neo-noir that really gets the grittiness right is sin city not the second one but the Mm -hmm. first the first film the robert rodriguez directed sin city is it perfectly catches it everyone's poor you know like the neighborhoods are rough and seedy and there's there's it's tr- it's imbuing downtrodden, rough around the edges people with substance abuse problems and a tendency yep. for violence with a romance. That yeah. is the perfect recipe for like crime noir. And in a weird way, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid kind of manages it. You know what I mean? It, it does. It really does. Um, man, it's so fucking goofy. How do you balance all of that? How do you make it? Because it would be hard enough if you were just if you and I said, "Hey, man, let's make a crime noir, but let's let's make it funny. Let's make it a goofy send up to the genre." That would be challenging on its own. We have full control over everything. Right. What's going to be shot? The dialogue, 
you have perfect control over it. That would be difficult enough. Yeah. But then in our final production meeting pre-shoot, we're like, you know what? Why don't we take these 20 movies, find scenes in them, and pepper them in there as a true send-up? It's it's like go fuck yourself. How do you manage it? It's it's there's artistry, but there's also some like real magic and. That's why I love movies. It's a remarkable accomplishment. I have a I have a note, and it's like not only does this one I'm like make me want to watch all those old movies. This is one of the first movies that I actually remember having the thought before knowing the behind the scenes of what a camera even looked like. Ten years old, like you sort of understand vaguely how a movie is made, but there's no there's no YouTube videos to watch behind the scenes footage. You have like a five minute interview with Spielberg or something, right? Right, right. This was the first time that I remember thinking out loud in my head, I want to make movies. I, I was mean, watching Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I, I totally get it. This, this, it's, you mentioned magic a second ago, but honestly, it is like imbued with yeah. that sort of like cinema magic. This is, and actually, there's literal magic in here. Like the coin work that he does, like that, those coin manipulations. I love Steve Martin's, I have notes about that. Dude, Steve, All of his... I told you the sleight of hand weird shit that he does in this movie is pretty mind blowing. The the cigarette gag is in the trailer. That's goof. Yeah. And I love that cigarette gag because okay, so this is nineteen eighty two. We get to see Steve Martin. He takes a cigarette out of his mouth and he appears to push it into his ear and then he pulls it back out of his mouth. It's a it's a pretty simple bit of sleight of hand. It looks great on film. Yep. It's quick, it's perfectly done. Um Watch you think it. that's impressive? Watch this. <laughs> that's right, right. Which is it's an amazing, it's an amazing punchline to this like otherwise somewhat like poignant moment. It's a, it's yeah. hilarious. But Bird pointed out because Bird knows a little bit about sleight of hand as well, watching me practice it obsessively. Mm-hmm. Um, that technique that he utilized there, people, you know, you watch it and you're like, oh, it's a little goofy. In 2013, 20, I think it's 2013, when the um, the Evil Dead remake came out. The scene that everyone was so fucking grossed out. The needle in the eyeball? Yeah, when he pulls the needle out through his eyelid out of his eyeball, he's using exactly the same technique that Steve Martin uses in that shot in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Bird pointed out, she's like, that's funny. Like, they, I, there's another movie where they do exactly that. And that's the part of the nature of the, of the magic of this movie is that movie magic. Like, I honestly think that, like, stage magic and illusion and stuff and mm-hmm. film are very related Oh, absolutely. Um, like forms of entertainment, even even when they're not being used for each other. And magicians uh, come in like um, will be consultants on films all the time. But just the fact that like you can have well, an you have to fool somebody that something's actually happening. And who's better than that than professional magicians? Right. And it, yeah. Steve Martin in all of the movies we've watched so far has shown off for sure and it's something that uh-huh. i love about these movies like he you know he didn't have to tap dance and juggle and sing a song but he's like i'm gonna do it because it's gonna blow minds when he yep. does his little he does his little like coin across the fingers trick in this and you're like that's impressive and then he's so aware that that's impressive that the next shot the next moment in that scene he's doing two separate manipulations with two hands and it blows your hair back you're like i because you're like, that's not him. And then it pans up and it's him. And you're like, what in the shit is he up to? Yeah, he's doing a finger roll with one hand and then a flip and uh, shuffle stack or some yeah, shit he's, in his he's, other. He's vertically shuffling a stack in his right hand and he's doing the knuckles with his left. And you're like, those are completely separate motions. That is a 
for a five second bit of footage, that is no shit. That's months of training your fingers to do mm-hmm. things independently of each other. That's a lot of effort that it took to learn that stupid human trick for I, a gag I, for a little goof well yeah. i feel like steve martin's the the kind of guy who knows a lot of those little like kind of pointless tricks you know he's an entertainer of course yeah I, he knows I tr- that shit. i tried to explain this to bird the other day uh, probably like two weeks ago i was in the backyard and i for the movie when i shot that movie way back in the day i was like i want to learn fidgety stuff to do with my hands because i like being the guy who's who like pulls rather than pull the zippo out and clink with your thumb and chukunk rather than do that i like to pop pop the zippo and then snap it a light because immediately it just tell me i'm wrong it like it definitely makes you like one not much but it does make you just one percent cooler cooler. yeah that's that's all you need it's just like you know, I learned I spent like a couple months learning how to use a butterfly knife so I could do it in on the film. But then from that point on, I, I can't do it anymore. But from that point on, for like a couple of years, I could, you know, spin open a butterfly knife or flip it around. I, I had a little bit of balisong, you know, I had some yeah. of that. So and that was like another one of those things where someone's like, hey, check out my butterfly knife. Ha ha ha. And then you're like, oh, well, I, you know, you don't say it, but you're like, I just trained on this for six months. Give me that. Yeah, exactly. shop, 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 shop. And then you become, and it's, again, anything that, I don't need something that makes me like the center of attention or 50% cooler, but it's that little touch. That little touch. Of like Absolutely. popping the Zippo, you know, it just, it brings you 1% closer to James Dean. So. Or even if, even better, if someone needs a light of their cigarette and you take out an old wooden match oh. and light it with one hand, I think that's even more impressive. Dude, I... <laughs> It, they do it so many times in this movie. There's even a point where she goes to light her own match and Steve Martin stops her. This is, no, I got you. Yeah, he's basically, and when he does it, you can almost see it in his eyes like, I can do this cooler than you. <laughs> it's just, every time he does it, I'm like, do it again. Do it one more time. It's, dude, it's such a fucking cool trick. And it's it's one of those dumb, like, stupid human trick party yep. fidget things. But the more of those you know, I'm telling you. It, yeah, you get you get you get about a half dozen or so of those in your back pocket, and you're uh, you're like five percent cooler. And I will take a solid five percent. Solid five percent cooler. I'll take five percent cooler for sure. Uh, oh yeah. my god, dude! I know it's a gag, but it's also there's this movie two sexiest cigarette nominations. Yeah, I have them. I have two as well. For <laughs> it's unbelievable. The okay, I think the, the one telephone that... the telephone call cigarette light while they're. Their hand dancing around the right, the t- bowl of matches. They're and then touching the light- hands, and he is oh. he pops that. It's interesting. In season one for Leaving Las Vegas, we had a sexiest cigarette nomination, and it's also because of Nicolas Cage lighting a match with his thumb. There's yeah. something about popping a match with your hand that makes you literally. I'm gonna say 1.5 percent cooler. I'll, just- I'll give that another <laughs> half percent. Absolutely, it's a nifty one. So yeah, you're right, like that. And then when she she takes that first drag and blows the fucking match out with that first lungful of smoke, oh! Yeah, that's my first nomination for sexiest cigarette. Ooh, and then I'm assuming your number two is when he lights both ends of this. He lights one end of the cigarette, turns around, puts the lit end in his mouth, lights the other side, and then splits it in half and passes that dude. That's so sexy. God damn it, he's. You got once you forget that like one little opening scene, like it's just suave city all the yep. way through this. It's he's comically because he could have very easily lit the cigarette, taken a couple of drags, and handed the cigarette to her. But no, 
He's going to take that one step further, give her half the cigarette. Right. And then they end up sitting side by side smoking cigarettes, which immediately yeah. evokes immediately that, is... that bedroom thing. Yes, exactly. That looks post-coital <laughs> as they're lounging in garbage. Right. Yeah. Oh, th- that's right after he punches her in the face. and she yeah. gets, He's like, <laughs> when he pops out of the barrel, dude, that, that scene is so fucking funny. He pops out of the barrel and he's like, God, those beating on a woman, those bastards. <laughs> <And> <laughs> It's like they got they got yeah, you was, too. You, huh? you just knocked her out, dude. <laughs> yeah, you just straight punched her all the way across the alley. But you know, I in a weird way, that's another one that gets a pass for me because you know he's shoved upside down, discombobulated in a barrel. It's, Lid comes off. All you see is the arm come the up arm out of it. Comes up. It's it is a funny bit for sure. Um, can we? T- okay, dude. Maybe I was I was laughing so hard. And by the way, I watched this movie. Um. The day that I got my second vaccine shot. Oh, wow. Um, so I was like, I had like the sore arm. I was very tired. Um, but I had, I didn't, I was supposed to watch another movie for the podcast last night. But dude, that day after that second shot, just, I don't know. If, if your reaction is going to be like mine, just pick something stupid to watch. Find yeah. some blankets and hopefully a dog or somebody to love on you because it's shitty. But um, so I'm sitting there and I'm like. I'm like, oh my god! I've been laughing so hard. I, I was laughing. Yeah, I was laughing so hard that like my like ribs were aching, and I'm like, I don't know if it's the shot or if it's just as funny. But when he goes to see, when he goes to see Swede, and Swede is passed out, drunk on the bed. Uh, you need a cup of my Java. Oh my god! This is one of the funniest things I've ever seen put on film. I almost fucking died i couldn't get air in dude i was like the out laugh was so much that like the air you need a cup you need a cup of my java you need a cup of my java (laughs) he just goes into the kitchen he gets a saucepan he walks up i know like the saucepan is the start and you're just like wow that was really funny no you don't even fucking understand what's about to happen the beginning of the joke yeah (laughs) this is the receptacle for the joke it's the pre-setup Oh yeah, this is they're hitting your primer bulb like two times before they're gonna just yeah. break your dude, the the headers are gonna melt on this one. <laughs> he fucking pulls a bag of coffee, like just a you know, ground ground like one pound bag of yep. he takes it out, opens Chock it. Chock full of nuts or whatever, yeah. Right, and he starts to like the, what makes it hysterically funny is it's well, first of all, it's a one shot. The one shot is so crucial. And he starts to like shake a little bit in, and he's shaking it in kind of slow somewhat measured you're like okay so there's a he's it looks like there's going to be a specific amount of coffee that he's going for here we go here we go okay almost oh and then he'll he'll modulate it where he's like oh slow the flow got to yep dude that the fake ending where he right <laughs> here's my note shaking coffee into the pot still shaking and i wrote this while i was watching it still shaking coffee into the pot Coffee forever. For sure, Seth MacFarlane is a Mar- is a Martin and Reiner fan. This is hysterical. It's still going on. The sl- oh, we're slow pouring. No, it was a fake end. It's still going. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a great bit about like what thirty five seconds of him pouring coffee where he like he does a tall pour. He goes like, yep. <laughs> and he goes right back to shaking it. And then we by the end. It's just all the coffee in the bag. Just all the coffee gone. Yeah. 
He could have just dumped it he out. Just... What makes it for me, though, <laughs> what breaks me every time, it's about the two-thirds of the way through. I think it's after the long pour. He sort of looks off into <laughs> space for a second and just the biggest fucking sigh. Like, <sighs> shake, 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 yes. shake. <laughs> The sigh fucking kills me every it's, fucking time. I noticed that too. There was a moment where like his eyes glaze over and he like looks off into space. He's not paying attention to what he's doing anymore. Just big world where he sigh. And then his attention like slowly comes back and he's shaking coffee the whole fucking time. The whole Dude, time. It's, it's, we talked, we've talked in all three movies. This is no exception. Steve Martin, especially like during this time period, physical comedian to the max his physical Mm -hmm. his instincts for physical comedy they even do a a three stooges bit in here and it it totally it plays it plays it totally plays and it's i think it's because of his physicality that the coffee bit is so fucking hysterical the his his remember we talked when we were talking in season one about robin williams and how his face is kind of like like rubbery and so mm-hmm. expressive and when he smiles it splits his it breaks his face into a bunch of it. Steve yeah. Martin's got that kind of like rubber rubber face thing too. Like when a couple times when uh, Juliet's sucking bullets out of his arm and he gets those like I'm going to murder you. <laughs> he makes the he makes the fist in his hands and like even the way that he like curls the fist mm-hmm. like it's it, he, it's amazing. Like he he's very conscious of every element of his performance. A lot of people give Nicolas Cage shit for stuff. We're obviously huge Nicolas Cage fans yes. here at Measuring Flex. I whenever I see people doing like I think like when Steve Martin makes that fist, he doesn't just make a fist. It's like he doesn't just dump the coffee. He like right. he like curls his fingers in, but like in reverse order. You know, he's got such tight muscle control. And when I think of like um, when I see that, I always think of uh, Raising Arizona. When mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage is gonna go fight that guy, and he's got one hand in a fist, but the other one's like middle finger down, pinky out, left finger. He's got his hand all cocked. So weird. Yep. And it means it's not relevant. It doesn't like come back, but it's one of those details that I see, and I'm just like, yeah, that's that guy. That's who this guy. This is something that guy does, and it just it it it's more that um, like suspension of disbelief, character Absolutely. building. I'm like, yeah, th- I believe this dude. Um. I, I oh my god so <laughs> when we get back to uh, repeatedly throughout the movie Juliet is trying to I had a lot of trouble taking notes to this by the way because I just ended up watching huge fucking uh, I it. know yeah I've got most of my most of my notes are just quotes I know because it's... that's how these kind of it wasn't really toilet paper it was a seat cover but <laughs> <laughs> but it was enough for a clever enough guy for a clever guy together. to put it together yeah <laughs> The only way he'd catch me is if I had toilet paper on my shoe. He walks up. The, how difficult it is for him to stomp that thing off, too. He can't get it off. There's still toilet paper on his shoe. Oh, my God. And what a great intro to the Cary Grant bit. But um, I love when he's talking to Juliet, and, and he a couple times we go to an internal monologue where it's yeah. Steve Martin starts thinking. Uh, or, I mean, Rigby starts thinking, and uh, he's looking at Juliet, and Juliet's looking at him. And they play... They let us watch them just look at each other in real time while Steve Martin has these like super long internal monologues. I think it's to both actors' credit that they make it appear as though it's not they're not standing awkwardly just looking at each other in silence. Right. And yet they maintain that weird awareness that what they're doing is sitting in silence, like staring at each other. My fa- I think my favorite of them is 
a guy in my line can't can't just take a wife, settle down, have a bunch of kids, and that's in his that's in his brain. And then Juliet goes, "We wouldn't have to have kids." She responds <laughs> to his internal monologue. Is that when he's squeezing the to- the toothpaste no, out that's, of the tube? That one's later. Um, this is where he he just lit a cigarette and he's like, "Can't oh, sit yes, down, yes, and yes. have a bunch of kids. We wouldn't have to have kids." And he <laughs> <laughs> like coughs the smoke out and walks away. No, the the fucking toothpaste one is amazing when he's like. How am I supposed to tell her that when I see her, I'm gonna run my hands up and down her, up and down her long, luxurious legs and twist a fist into that glorious, blonde, copper blonde hair, bl- or black hair, or, you know, raven black hair, and he's like, he's just like lusting after her, but he has just seen more needlepoint that says bullets don't kill <laughs> private investigators. Games do, or De- yeah, <laughs> falling in love with a client does, or you know, fucking Bogart's always watching out for him. But yep. yeah, he's just. He's just standing there, just squeezing this toothpaste tube in the most suggestive possible way. And uh, she, what does he call her? He calls her, you're just a meal ticket, right? A meal ticket. You're just a meal ticket. Yeah, he's like, that's right. That's right, sister. You're just a meal ticket. And then he has this long internal monologue about how he just wants to, like, just fucking fuck this. <laughs> oh, my God. They just, he's like, I love her and I want to make sex with her so bad. And she's, like, watching this, and as he's internally monologuing, she's getting, like, more and more hot and bothered. Yeah. Because, as we've established, she could kind of hear his internal monologues, and right as he's about to get a little too saucy for a PG, you know, like, run up and cut my hands around her beautiful, gets a slap in the face. She's like, sorry, I just don't like being called a meal ticket. And then, like, strolls away, but, oh, my God. Dude. She left my office with toothpaste on her shoes. The t- oh, I'm telling you, it's it's raunchy, dude. This movie is raunch city. It's like dead men don't wear, you know, secretary too. Dead men don't yeah, wear demo- black. <laughs> exactly. Oh One thing God. I dig about her character early on, I don't know if it uh, if it sticks around, but then the very beginning when we meet, when he gets he gets shot, he gets ends up taken to to her house, mm-hmm. and we meet the butler. Yeah. Because the butler did it. Get it? Okay, so... Um, I didn't get that until just she, now. No, it's all right. <laughs> but uh, she... in her in her ex- Nazi, too, though. Yeah, like, exactly. They, they He's threw clearly... me a little bit with that one. <laughs> exactly. Um, but she, in her exposition, she tends to overshare information that isn't necessary, but is very, like, noir Right. Ask like she'll be talking about her cousin something, and he's a helpless drunk. Like it doesn't. She's constantly oversharing. Like he was a boxer, and now he works in a gas station. She's now a lounge singer. Like the one piece of information we need, but she is just oversharing right, every right. time she goes into exposition. There's like two or three extra sentences of just not on nonsense, but it's all very noir. He was yes, he used to be a boxer, now works in a gas station. I hope is drunk. Right. <laughs> it's it's like all of the all of the cliches or tropes from yes. noir like tactics. Yes. And yes. also like the this is Stephen King is guilty of this all the time. I'm reading The Stand right now, and there's a me sh- too. There's a shitload of it, dude. Where his yeah. he'll be like, you know, the relevant piece of information is like. My name's Rita Blackmore, and I'm, uh, you know, I I was married to my husband, and now he's dead. Like, that's what we need to know. But he's like, yeah. and I remember the first time we went down to the beach in Frimpton in 1946, and he popped a bottle of champagne, and we drank it out of my shoes, and there was a cat yes. there. And you're like, 
Is any how much of the, you're like you get like five paragraphs and you're like wait a minute wait a minute how much what? of this is relevant what are we what do I actually need to know here? Um, it's one of my favorite things about like so the writing in this in this one in that way that you're talking about where like she's over she's giving too much backstory constantly oversharing in Dude, the exposition yeah their fucking deduction scenes <laughs> it's like it's like <laughs> it's like the Da Vinci Code again. Just my one of my favorites of all time is when she's like, Emmer Essen. That means, means always eating. eating. In what yeah. language? German. Oh, it's also the name of a German cruise ship. Yes, yes, I remember reading about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of that. Or like his, his sudden knowledge of intricate library. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, how they, <laughs> like how the fucking Dewey Decimal System works. <laughs> I need the I need the the front page of the August third edition of the New York Times. Right, it's like the most obscure code ever. It's like Q R E two point one one four, and he's like the standard library talk standard. for a New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not zany T. It's it's za New York T or whatever New New yeah. York Times. Uh, it's the it's the February edition, page two, column six. Column um, six, and yeah. he has the number to the fucking library memorized. He calls the front the library and is like, "If you if you skedaddle on over there, what's your name? Hot legs? Hot legs? I'll buy you dinner sometime. A wine and dine ya. Right, a wine and dine ya sometime. Yeah. <laughs> she goes hot legs. What does he call her? Doll face. Doll face. Dude, yeah. I love the like different. Again, there's another one where he's like, it's just like he's got different demeaning kind of misogynist nicknames. Sexist for nicknames for all of his lady <laughs> friends, yeah. Which, you know, is a little gross, but also because they're poking fun at that particular trope, is kind of funny as well. Yeah. Dude, his bloody knees. <laughs> the, uh, my note on that is pro that is the most perfectly timed and set up bit of of not physical comedy but it's like prop comedy and not prop comedy uh, um like a visual reveal like a gag like where the the joke is the showing you of the thing right 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 because this is the most perfectly set up and timed and ridiculous <laughs> by the way how did i get home right right she's like you must have crawled all the way home two or three miles by the look of things or whatever they pan down and there's <laughs> The knees of his trousers are just gone. His knees are fucking dog meat, Hamburger, dude. Yes. dude. He's got hamburger knee going on. It's the gross. <laughs> and she just pours straight up rubbing alcohol on his knees. Well, she puts she puts some on like a rag and brings Oh, him. yeah. She tries to put it on his knees and he's like, no, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Keep that away from me. Keep it. And then she's, he's like, get off of me. <laughs> he <just laughs> spins around and her. points a gun at her. And she's like, oh, shit, backs up. And she's like. It won't hurt. It's not going to be that, you know, it wouldn't be that bad. Well, you really must let me disinfect those knees. He point, pulls the gun again, sticks it in her face, takes the rubbing alcohol away and dumps it on the floor behind <laughs> him, <laughs> keeping the gun on her. The sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. don't know what came over me. <laughs> oh, my God. But, like, but we can all relate to that feeling where you're like, this is going to sting. This is going to sting. Don't you fucking put that. Don't. It's my don't you. Mm -mm. When I was growing up and my grandpa would be like, I don't know if anyone out there even knows what this is anymore because I'm pretty sure it's banned now for causing like <laughs> DNA malformation. But like there was a thing called methylate and methylate was red. It was like this weird yep. like iodine colored liquid. 
and it burned like fucking pepper sauce in any cut that you had. And they're like, it's that sting means it's disinfecting you. I'm like, that means it's working. Yeah, I'm like, I think it's burning a hole through my body where you just put that on. So could we not ever <laughs> put this on me again? It's better if you blow on it. I'm like, no, that's not true. That's you're just lying to me, Grandpa. I, yeah, I think we use my grandma used like Mercurochrome or something like that, oh or like an iodine hybrid. Like, yeah, right. Some, Same shit. It had that like like a glass dropper or whatever that they yes. came in, but they never dropped it down. They would always like smear it with the glass part of right. the like dropper. But what do you do? <laughs> They're like, let me just re- dig just this in there. Dig that blah, blah. in there. And I'm telling, oh. as an eight year old boy, if I'd had access to a revolver, I might have swung it around on my grandparents, been like, you get that methylate uh, away from me. <laughs> That's funny because when he's offered the when Rigby's offered the gig and it's like ten thousand dollars, he's like, I'd shoot my grandma for ten thousand dollars. He's like, I don't think that would be necessary. And he goes, You never, you never know. know. I had to throw my brother out of an airplane on my last game. <laughs> oh my god. Um Oh, the hot oh, okay. So there's a couple of again, like I really don't have a through line for the plot because one, the plot is plot is definitely kind of it feels haphazard well it is because it has to be but it's those moments when they make those connections very quickly and it's so ridiculous but this is the fucking brilliant part of the writing and the acting in this we talked about the library scene like suddenly he knows he has all the information he needs to know about how to call the library and he's been able to deduct that or she knows that mrs and means always eating and they put they make these connections but they're so they happen so fast and with such um, earnestness, right. and they're confident in you. Just immediately are along with that. There's no question that, of course, he would know. He's a he's a private dick. You have to know weird shit like that. Like, oh, she would probably know that her butler is a German, so she would probably know that from just being, I don't know, around a German person. Who fucking knows? Like, right. And actually, it never feels it never feels like super goofy, so super goofy that it takes you out of it. It's I'm kind of just along for the ride, even though it is ridiculous. And, and when you sit back and look at it, it's like so super goofy. It's kind of that same thing from The Man with Two Brains, too, where stuff yes. that you think is throwaway or like just being used for a gag comes back. Like the it matters. Fact, the fact that she that Juliet knows German is what saves Rigby's saves both of them at the end because she makes Carl Reiner say uh, cleaning cleaning woman, woman in German. She's like. Maybe I could be your like what is it? Uh, yeah, it's like kleine kleine or whatever. And yeah. It's like, and what does that mean? Tell him what it means, my darling. And she, and he's like, oh, it means cleaning woman, cleaning woman, cleaning woman. By the way, the cleaning woman joke to me is a joke that feels funny and and maybe ahead of its time here too because that that recurring bit where they say cleaning woman and he snaps and snaps. strangles. Up until Carl Reiner, it's three women yeah. that he strangles in this fucking two two women that he strangles in this movie, and you're like, holy shit! And then he apologizes, and he has some weird backstory where he's like, my 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 mother left my father for the cleaning woman, but he doesn't say woman; he just mouths. No. Yeah, and it's <laughs> anyway. Um, Bird was, yeah, Bird was like, but wait, he said it the first time. I'm like, don't worry about it. But um, the thing that I kept thinking about that is that is sort of a 
sort of a a winking send up, and I don't think necessarily like just a lighthearted or or kind one, but I think that's a send up of propensity the propensity of men in these um like crime noir movies just slapping women around. Absolutely, yeah. And then you know like that this was their way to come at it from you know it is a comedy movie so how do we comment on this in a lighthearted way that will be kind of funny and it's so over the top that it's yeah it is fun you know you you blow you blow the speakers out that's how you that's how you make sure uh, your point is heard 100 percent because you crank it to 11 you have steve martin yelling cleaning woman while he's strangling someone right and you've got hair flying around and his eyes are bugging out and he's having a seizure it's so big that it becomes not harmless, but because that's not the point. The point is to be like, to really show how ridiculous it is that once yes. he's done strangling Juliet, she. I'm sorry. Yes, dude. Like that moment, I thought that was really good filmmaking. She's laying mm-hmm. on the couch, strangled, holding her neck, like, <coughs> why terrified. Would you, why would you yeah. do that? You tried to kill me. And he's like, you know, like this powerful man just tried to murder you. And his excuse is like, Oh, I'm my, sorry. A cleaning I'm, woman I'm... split up my my uh, my parents' marriage. That's it. And and her response is like, "Oh my God, my darling, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again." It's like that thing in any old yeah. movie where like, well, you're just like your father. And then you know, big old hard slap, yeah. and she's on the ground and she's bleeding, and she's like, "I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that." It's that same. It kind of sets up how ridiculous it is that any amount of violence that a man does to a woman in a film, as long as he says. Oh, I'm sorry. I had a reason for doing that. Right. He's 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 sort of that, he's like justified for it, and then she has to accept that apology. Right, and often because they the because there was a reason behind the violence that you just didn't understand. Right, and like how fucking and often wild is that shit, man? She off and then oftentimes there's like her apology as well for triggering him for triggering it. Yeah, yeah. how that fucking crazy it's is that? It's fucking shit, nuts, man. especially like. And I and again, I think it's pretty clear. Like that's what that that's what this joke is commenting on. But like, yeah, think about I think that, so. That's totally a thing where it's like, I'm sorry, I made you beat me up. Like that's fucked up. Yep. When Steve Martin does it, it's, it's a very real thing. It's kind of like, but it is it like it and the clowning, the clown, the clowning, and the self awareness of the like the underlying problem with the joke mm-hmm. is what makes it funny because it is yes. totally funny. Yes. And yes, I, I also actually kind of like the fact that, and I don't know if this is like necessarily um, con- like a conscious decision, but I like the fact that Rachel Ward uses that, that, that thing. That, that trigger. Yeah, yeah, uses that trigger to turn his violence against the person that, you know, they, and I'm, I'm giving, I might be giving this movie more credit than it deserves, but I like that in the end, she uh, sort of like takes control of it. It's not. It's used in a purposeful way to like redirect mm-hmm. him. Anyway, that was just that was a thought. I just well, I think it's there. Whether or not it's intentional uh, of Carl Reiner and Steve Martin to have that um, be a be a moment of of a woman taking um, not ownership but taking control over a violent situation and right and, and but it's still there. Yeah, yeah, it's um, still there. There's there's some kind of like parallel dialogue that's kind of like. Uh, like in this same vein when she's like, oh, Rigby, I haven't considered what you've been through on this. You've been beaten up and shot and you've probably had to go to bed with women you didn't even know. You know, like they clearly have a thing for each other. But it's that thing where like 
because he's like the tough guy in a crime noir, she's gonna forgive he's him. He's the dick, yeah. Right, forgive him literally anything. Like it's that it's that bit of like, did you go to bed with her? Well, listen, baby, I just needed some information. Well, I understand that, I guess. Oh, I do love you, Rigby, and it's like, yeah. No, dude, that is. Maybe you should not be cool with that. God damn, you know what? That, that just made me think because you sounded just like uh um um, oh my god. Ow, help me. Uh, 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 you sounded like um. Uh, oh my god. Tim Curry. Fucking... No. Audrey oh, Hepburn. Catherine Water, Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn. My brain went crazy because I was trying to think of the name of the movie with Humphrey Bogart and and, and Catherine Hepburn, um, the African Queen. Oh my God! Yes, yes. Check yes. that out, because that's a perfect example of it's a man and a woman on a boat going down like the Nile, essentially, mm-hmm. to uh, escape some horrible shit that happened, and she totally fucking takes him on a ride the entire time, like sobers him up, dumps, dumps his booze his out. She is flat out like, like you're gonna do exactly the fuck I say because you are a Mr. All Nut. You are gets yeah. him, gets him in the gets river. Him. Pulling, yep. the, pulling the boat along when it exactly. gets too shallow. Exactly, reaches on his back and shit. I so love that's African one of my favorite Queen. movies. Yeah, my sister and I go back and watch Africa. We should do that on the show. Actually, we should do Bogart. I would and Bacall. A Bogart, Bacall, or just a, a Bogey month. We could do. I mean, honestly, dude, I have a been, Hepburn month and a Bogey month, like back to back. I've been saying for since be before incredible. season one that I once a year I think we should do like like golden age of hollywood one month yeah there. like we'll do a month on like ava gardner or a month yeah. on humphrey bogart or a mo- i've always wanted to do a Cary grant Catherine, month. a Catherine hepburn month would be fucking incredible too yeah dude Ka- Catherine hepburn is she's amazing uh, so really and I, I talked to your sister once about um uh uh, uh the african queen it's mm-hmm. written by that screenplay was written by a writer named james Aji. And James Aji wrote a book called uh, A Death in the Family, which I think is one of the best, one of the best bits of literature about grief and loss, uh, especially like familial grief and loss that I've ever read, ever. I think Sarah said that it was her favorite book. Anyway, African Queen, fucking great. Bogart, excellent actor. Hepburn, exceptional actor. Um, Where were we at? Oh, right. Doing Kinsey cover to cover. Um, yes. <laughs> what the, are we going to do? Kinsey, cover to cover. What are we going to do? Kinsey from cover to cover. I love you. I love you. And I mean that more than anything I've ever <laughs> said in my life. Fingers crossed, dude. And like, there's so. <laughs> so, I have a stupid note about that. Do do people get that? These Like, I keep thinking of 10 year old me watching this movie for the first time. Sure. Right? Yeah. And wondering if if a ten year old kid in twenty twenty one would understand some of the humor in this, like, the, is the finger crossed still a thing? For like, I don't like like for for nullifying a promise or that you're telling the truth. Like, is that still a fucking thing anymore? Like, fingers crossed. I didn't mean I have my fingers crossed. I don't even know who it is. I actually don't know either. Like the the. It, it must be enough in the popular lexicon that people are like this. It would have to be, is, right? And actually, if you think about it, like, fingers crossed, this is much older than, like, I'm going to, I don't mean what I'm saying, I'm breaking an oath. This is actually. Right, that's actually. The the fingers crossed was an old protection against a hex. Right. So, like, this goes all the way back to, like, uh, like uh, it's essentially magic. Like, really, yeah. really earlier, it's sort of like folk magic. And it got co-opted into, you know. I don't it's mean a it, modern man, popular culture, right? Right. But now, yeah, maybe now they're like, "Well, I had like this emoji in my promise, so it did, I don't know. I don't know what the youth are doing these days." 
Sorry, I don't mean I don't mean to be like pre preoccupied with the with the whole thing, but I just you know going through a movie that you grew up with mm. and and so in love with it and knowing knowing sort of as a ten year old what I understand and what I didn't understand. I think it's because I just finished my final draft of The Shining too, and there's a lot of I did a lot of thinking about perspective and like when you read something when you're ten resonates so much differently when you read it when you're forty three. But also, it's like even if a 10-year-old watching that or reading that same book in a different time changes it as well. So I'm just wondering if that, if that, how well this movie would play if you were to sit down and a random 10-year-old pop them down and watch this movie. Are they going to fucking enjoy it? I don't know. I mean, I, I know that it's a PG, but I honestly think that... I think that this movie, in the same way, when I I was recently over on um, Cassandra's show, Cassandra Explains It All, Bird and mm-hmm. I went on and talked about Scream. And one of the things we talked about was, I love Scream, I think, because I'm a massive horror fan. And that right. movie is like nothing but references and homages to other horror films. So I get to play like the Easter egg game all the way through. Right. Cassandra does not like horror movies, like at all. She's watched a couple. She watched Midsummer because we covered it. She mm-hmm. likes Scream. She likes I Know What You Did Last Summer. She has like some very small exposure, but doesn't really dig horror that much. Fair. So when I got on there, I'm like, it's crazy to me that you love Scream so much because, and it's not like, oh, well, you're missing out because you're not smart enough or whatever. You don't get all the Easter eggs. Right, but it, it is like one of, the, one of the beautiful things about Scream is it's a good enough movie that it stands completely on its own, even if you get none of the jokes but I'm, yeah. or none of the references. But at the same time, I think like a deep, a, for me, for my like, uh, like viewing experience, a deep understanding of, of all that, that horror cinema, like deep horror fans. It's like um, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, like Cabin in the Woods is an awesome time, even if you know nothing about horror movies. But if you, I do, watched that in the theater with somebody that had maybe watched two horror movies in their entire life, right? And we loved it equally. Me for totally different reasons than they loved it because it was an incredible introduction right. to the genre of horror. And just like I didn't know it could be this way. Let's watch more horror movies. Meanwhile, I'm like, that was literally referencing everything at the end. <laughs> right, right, like. Every was, movie monster you've ever loved. It was the gallery right. of everything I love. I'm getting goosebumps now about it. But to your point, it's like, yeah, you you get different things based on your the lens you see it through, but doesn't make it less enjoyable. So, do you think that Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid is? Do you? Th- I I honestly think that it is funny enough on its own that a lo- I don't think a ten year old. I don't think it's a movie for a ten year old. Not because I don't think it's funny, but because so much of the funny stuff would go over their head that they might be bored. Right. I think this is See, like... See, but I watched it as a 10-year-old. I'm not saying that maybe I was a smarter 10-year-old or anything, sure. but but movies were definitely on the spin in our house, and my parents were in theaters, so we had exposure to a lot of other things that maybe a, an average 10-year-old maybe wouldn't. I don't know, but sure. but I think that there's enough... That, I think Steve Martin is is such a character, and I think there's enough gags, like the cigarette trick and the finger right. rolling. There's enough neatness, because sometimes when you're 10 years old, you just you just... It's about the hats and the fedoras and the bravado and the and the whole mystery of it all. And you don't necessarily understand all of it, but you you do know that you're watching something cool and you're yeah. watching something funny. And you pick up these moments that you like want to emulate or you start to like characterize or understand. I don't know. I think that you probably 
I think a ten year old would appreciate a lot of the humor would go over their head. I, but I think that Steve Martin is is such a it's like Robin Williams, right? It's like it doesn't matter if you're aware of who they are before you sit down and watch the film. You could have never heard the name Steve Martin or heard the name Robin Williams before. You don't know what those words mean. But as soon as you sit down and you spin pretty much any movie in their library of films, you they 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 take care of that. Yeah. Right. I, I they their their introduction is so in retrospect they're so distinct you know I don't know I think you're I think you're right though now that you're now that you mentioned it, I was thinking of like all right what movies did I see around like 10 11 12 that I was not you know that I'm not the intended audience for and I was thinking I realized I watched Pulp Fiction when I was 12 yeah and like seeing or maybe like 13 but still like most of Pulp Fiction went over my head, but I knew that I was watching something cool. You're totally yeah. right. I was like, man, this is violent. I'm not supposed to be seeing violence. There's like sexy stuff in here. Those are drugs. I don't even really know what drugs are. I don't know what like, those do, yeah. But it feels, you're right. Like it was, watching it, you were like, this is cool. I want more of this. And then you're you're into Reservoir Dogs and you're like, I didn't get a lot of that. But, you, but you're right. It is, there is still stuff there for mm-hmm. or, for everybody. Sometimes just the music is groovy, but you're yeah you're. I think I you're think right. Perf- I think per- this would be good for for like, I mean yeah. There's nothing in here that's objectionable. I think no. it's like the the Disney movie thing where eight year olds, nine year olds watch it, and they miss all the sex it. jokes, and the adults watching are like, I can't believe. They I was said gonna that say the the movie. perfect example of a movie that works in both worlds is The Incredibles. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, that was one that I saw as a kid, and I recently watched again as an adult, and I was like, "That's some dirty shit." <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, well, you heard it in the trailer. I'm just, I'm looking. I, man, I, I wish that I'd taken better notes, but I'm kind of glad that I just ended up watching this one because it's so, this movie's so enjoyable all the way through. There's, it's, it's the kind of movie that's just purely a joy to watch. You know what I mean? What are you laughing at? <laughs> My notes of, oh, just because most of my notes are just the lines from the movie and they're all really fucking funny. Right, right. <laughs> this when when he, he gets roofied like the second fucking time. Oh, because yeah. Because it always <laughs> takes him at least 20 minutes for the drugs to take effect. I know. This is <laughs> is they're coming in with a plane of a bunch of Jamermans. Jamermans, a bunch of Jamermans, Ethel Merman. You want to watch an Ethel Merman movie? With well, got, yeah, he got his demon. Well, I get my pajamas on so we can go watch a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to go. And then he collapses on the floor. Do you want to go see Ethel Merman? So, damn it, man. I had a, I had highlighted a quote in here that uh, I thought was like very indicative of the the like the PG slash. Um, super risque quality of it, but my phone crashed yesterday and needed to be totally oh, no. restored, so I lost all my photos. But it's it's the one where they're basically like things were things were hot and heavy between us, you know. Um, uh, it was, and the bullet wound in my arm wasn't the only thing that was throbbing. Yeah, our hearts were as well. You know, like yes. it's that thing where like if you just left it there, the sensors would be like can't say that, can't but because it's the heart as well, you're like. Well, what are you talking about? He's talking about his heart throbbing and the bullet wound throbbing. What are you talking about? There's no dirty joke in there. And yet. Um, and then I love when they're there. So they're like kissing and it, he like, ah, and like jumps back and, or no, he collapses onto the ground and she's like, what's, what's wrong? And it's the way that Steve Martin says it, because what he says is you stuck your finger in my bullet hole. 
but the way that he says that, it sounds almost exactly like you stuck your stuck finger, your in, finger my in my butthole. <laughs> and the way that he, dude, it's that that line delivery is so perfect because you stuck your finger in my bullet hole. Yeah, and he like he runs through it. You're like, you stuck your finger in my bullet hole, and you're like. What did he say? What did he say? Did he say? I think he said bullet hole, but it sounded like Wait, it almost sounded butt. like butthole. Like, and the the context for it is that same. We've seen this joke a million times. It's like yeah. hot and heavy, hot and heavy. Guy looks startled, and she's like, "What? Well, you've done it to me." You know, it's like that. Right. It's that bit, but you don't expect it in this movie, and and they push it just just to the sideline enough that no one can get bummed about it. Exactly. Ah, but, because um, it because it, no he was talking about his bullet hole yeah, he's no. got he's been shot four times in the same place it can't possibly be his butthole right turn the you're turn, ridiculous turn the subtitles on yeah there it is bullet hole bullet I'm hole like, but I know what I heard uh-huh. motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's great <laughs> can I use her underwear to make soup I know it's the, literally one of the most disgusting lines I've ever heard in a movie and like as soon as he said it I I, I was too shocked to laugh I couldn't believe that they'd put that that this was in that movie it's so funny though don't because run- that one because that one you can't get away with like a meaning something else he straight up says can I use her underwear, underwear to, to make, make soup. soup yeah yeah like like bird's nest so soup, for, for as many of those hidden gems that we have like you stuck your finger in my butthole we have can i use your underwear to make soup? i guess they gave him like one to just one, to, one like, to just go for it like that's exactly. the one that they had to like pay for you know the censors are like listen that is there's no two ways about that like he's making soup underwear and carl reiner's like all right all right yes yes but just give me this just this one and they're like just just one one <laughs> that's the one too because holy shit I love and I love that that's not not refilmed not filmed now. That's like right. that's an intercut, and that was one where I had no idea that was intercut until. Oh, when he's in the office, it was. Uh, when he gets him the puppy, yeah. The puppy. I even brought you a puppy. Um, that's come from a movie called Johnny Eager. Johnny Eager. Johnny that. Eager. Pick that yeah. up. I'm not picking come, that up. Come on, it's Stock all poop. No, he looks down. And he goes, <laughs> "Come on, it's all soft and steamy. Pick it up." All right, you can make me pick up dog poo, but you can't make me leave this case or whatever. Like, yeah, you can make me pick up dog filth, but you can't make dog, me get off dog this dirt. case. Dog dirt. You that's can, what it is. You can make me pick up dog dirt, but you can't get me off this case. I, I, it was the moment that he said "pick that up" the second time. That was when I realized that it was intercut. Like, yeah, that's like several minutes of that scene happening, and I'm like, is this from another movie? Oh my god, the editing is so good, man. I was I was very very impressed by how well this was cut. Yeah, like not even in like a, I love this movie. I was genuinely this is really really well cut. It's outstanding. There's a really there's a great moment that Steve Martin has in here too. That's almost like I almost feel there was a moment where Steve Martin was like went to Carl Reiner or maybe they'd planned it from the beginning, but they're like, look, we're gonna be we're gonna joke all the way through this because that's what we do. Carl Reiner, Steve Martin, this is going to be hilarious. But st- I feel like Steve Martin was like, give me one real moment. And it's when he's drinking Jack Daniels in the shadows and he's got the pigeon uh, on his shoulder. Yeah, I have a note about that as well. Go for it. I mean, that's all All I all I really have on that is the monologue there. And yes, okay, there's definitely a joke hidden. There's a joke in there. Well, the joke is that the monologue goes on 
just a little bit too long. He's like, they 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 put your hands down your throat and grab your heart, and I'll, then they turn it into. Do you have it? Talk about it really. Talk about that scene for a moment, and I'll have it pull yeah. up in just a sec. Because it is a true moment, and I think the joke isn't necessarily what he is saying because none of it is funny. It's and he's he's being very genuine in his delivery of it, but it's so long. The joke is the amount of things that he is saying. I yeah, I mean like it, it's it's the length of it, but you're right. The way that it is the way that it's delivered is utterly in earnest. Sorry. I, now I'm just reading quotes. I didn't see the body no, put fine. together yeah. like that's that solved the case of the murdered girl with the big tits. The big tits, yeah. <laughs> it's just so bad. Um let's see. Heart. Here we go. All dames are alike. They reach down their throat so they can grab your heart, pull it out, and they throw it on the floor, and they step on them with their high heels. They spit on it, shove it in the oven, and they cook the shit out of it. And then they slice it into little pieces, slam it on a hunk of toast, and they serve it to you. And they expect you to say, thanks, honey, it's delicious. And you're right, it is like just a just a smidgen, a smidgen too long, too which long. which makes it funny, but... At the same time, the way that Steve Martin is like delivering those lines, there's a poignancy there. And the way that it's shot, mm-hmm. I love the fact that he tries to offer a, a bottle cap of Jack Daniels to his parrot. <laughs> to the pigeon, or to the yeah. pigeon, yeah. And the pigeon's like turns his no. turns his nose up at it, and he's like, I, "Steve Martin's like low key <laughs> offended, you know." You, yeah. you and I have both done exactly this, where you like order two shots, but your friend like doesn't want to do shots anymore. Yep. And you're like, you acknowledge that, like, all right, oh, well, it's it's, right. it's your decision, but you do have that, like, little bit of shittiness in you where you're yeah, like, yeah, well, I, well, guess, right, I guess, guess I'll do fuck it. you sure, then. Yeah, right. and then you do your shot, you know, like, it's exactly that moment, but with a pigeon on his shoulder, dude. It's <laughs> Steve Martin's a genius. It's so fucking funny. Doesn't he pour the cap full back into the bottle? No, he shoots it down, and oh, then he, he takes, takes it. And then That's he right. takes a pull right out of the, it might be a shot glass, but then he takes a big slam right out of the, right out of the Jack Daniels bottle. God, dude. Oh, it's Reine Makafrau. Reine Makafrau. Reine Makafrau. Oh my God, dude. I'm. I'm. There. We <laughs> we could have made an episode just me reading, just me and you going well, back and forth and reading every quote. One of my favorites. Yeah, but most of my quotes. I mean, you got half my more than half my notes are just quotes for the movie. <laughs> but what does Falk mean? It's a slang word. It's when a man and a woman are in love. The man puts his. No, no. It's written here. F O C. Like, d- dude. What's he paying you, boys? I'll double it, and we'll beat the shit out of him. Like <laughs> so much of this movie is just fucking. <laughs> Are you wearing pajamas? I will help you take them off. Forget about the pajamas. Forget about the pajamas. Oh, you're leaving tomorrow? That will give me enough time to press your pajam- pajamas. <laughs> pajamas. <laughs> like, Thank you. <laughs> At that point, he's just like, I guess, I guess, yeah, I for sure. <laughs> Can I use it to make soup? All right, I need to close these, or we'll never, yeah, I know, we'll right? never accomplish anything with all these hilarious fucking bits of dialogue in front of me. Um, stuck here. Let's talk about. I'm I'm pretty much at the end of my notes. Honestly, yeah. like, th- this is not a movie you watch for the plot. Not I, even a little bit. The, well, it's the only there's way, enough there. The only way you watch, the only way I would I watch this for the plot is to marvel at how they thread that needle between what? what how many do you think you read? Fourteen different movies. 10 Fourteen, different movies? I think. Yeah, it's unbelievable, and they they incorporate them all. Even like some of the stuff, like for example, the Veronica Lake bit is just it's, it's twenty. It's twenty movies. There's twenty movies in here. Twenty movies that they stitch in here. All right, and I would say realistically, there's. 
I would say no more than like two or three of them. There are a couple in here that are used as throwaway gags. The Cary Grant appearance is just a one-off joke. The Veronica Lake appearance is just That's a one-off a throw joke. Off. But yeah. dude, they are very funny. Like they're worth mm-hmm. they're worth the like fifteen seconds that they're on screen for that. Yes, dude, especially the Veronica Lake one. I don't know why, but that just fucking cracks. It's because me they set up. it up. He's standing there in the lobby. We get to, we we establish her and who she is. We know that he's trying to find a blonde because this dude hunts for blondes every Monday right. in the supermarket or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so so we are actually in that scene for a few minutes. She's looking very beautiful at the table, surrounded by men in tuxedos. Right. He makes eyes at her. She makes eyes at him. She gets up slowly, walks over to him. We get that inner monologue. She'd never say, I can't. Right, And she right. said, he asks, well, can you come and do this thing for me? I can't. I need That's you, it. I need you to do something for me. I can't. I can't. Apparently, she'd introduce, apparently she'd introduce yeah. them into her vocabulary since the last time I'd spoken to her. Like, it's, I think part of it is because in both, in, in the couple instances where it does end up being, uh, not I'm not going to say throwaway joke, but a light one-off joke. Mm-hmm. They set those scenes up as though these are going to be major set pieces. Absolutely. And then yeah. like a secondary laugh comes from them violating your expectation that now we're going to have, you know, Veronica Lake or Cary Grant as a main player. But they're really just, yeah, we're not just dude, the-, <laughs> the fact that he pulls out. What does he say? He pulls out his fucking harmonica because he doesn't want to talk to Cary Grant anymore. He's like puts him to sleep and that left him sleeping like a baby. <laughs> yeah, it's like I pulled out my. I pulled that. He has some name for it. He doesn't say harmonica. Is like his, you know, his secret his, weapon. I think is I or something. yeah. But he's ah. like he's like I pull out my harmonica. It's better than a Valium and a hot cup of milk or whatever he says. And like the fact that a, a harmonica would lull you to sleep is just ridiculous. Not true. <laughs> um, let me see. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk briefly about. I have two more notes that I think are important. One. Okay. Is is one that that we just uh we just blow up Terra Haute and we get sad because they're about to get a public library. <laughs> <laughs> oh Terra Haute, they're about to get a public their first public library. Right, yeah, when it's like melting off the board because they dropped the cheese mold bomb, they were about to get their first public library, dude. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> no, I was gonna say um. There's a bit of perfor- – because Carl Reiner has been in two of these now, two of these three, right? Yeah, I think he's been in, he in the all three. Yeah, he's the one that sues the company for going cockeyed. He's the one that has the press conference. Oh, right, right, right. Famous right. director Carl Reiner. Oh, yeah, sues – He who, didn't call cut soon enough, and the car went over the cliff and exploded. Who's the guy – who is he playing Man with Two Brains? Uh, he, uh, I'd have to look that he up. He might I don't be, recall. he might just be a one-off in that one. I think I, so. I think you're right. I think he is in all three of these. Um, which is cool. Cause I got, you know what? There's another one, another Mel Brooks connection. He puts himself in all this shit too. Yes. Dude. I, when we first started this and I realized we had so many Carl Reiners, I was like, yeah, let's do a Mel Brooks month. Now I'm like, I don't know. We might need, we might need like to, to spread out the Mel Brooks movies. You know, let's go back kind to some, of, yeah. something safe. Something safe like Hostel or Saw or like Absolutely. Cannibal Holocaust. Something not quite so, you know, troubling. <laughs> Repo the Genetic Opera. Right. I think it would be. I'd actually be down for that one. Um, no. So what I w- the thing I wanted to talk about is when we meet Carl Reiner, the Nazi, at the end, you know, after he's like gone through the window and slid down the board. Great little bit of like uh, Temple of Doom style stunt work. Too. Yes. Love it. 
pops up and he's got his uh his it's not a Walter PBK he's got a he's got his Luger out you know and Carl when Carl Reiner starts to explain his big plan and then Steve Martin and then Rigby starts to explain his plan I love this this to me was the most meta part of this movie yes and I adore it it's yes. because the as the bad guy as the like evil mastermind he argues Carl Reiner argues he's like well it just I have the right yeah he goes I he's like it, it is customary for the mastermind to explain his plan I have the right and then Rigby turns because now they're both appealing to Juliet who is going to get to tell you how that all went down and he turns to Juliet and he goes yes but the investigator the investigator has a right to uh, show how his deductions went out and how he solved the case and they start to both explain what happened because now we have two conflicting film tropes yes Dude, the villain explains it all, and the private dick gets to show you how he put it all together. Right, it's totally customary. They're both yeah. right. Like the the James Bond villain explains the plot, but yep. also Sherlock Holmes gets to explain his deductions. So who the fuck has the right of way here? This uh, one of the things I always love in movies is doubled dialogue and dialogue that is over or together. Or, yes, 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 yes. Because people watching at home. It looks it looks like really funny and fun and it's a great effect, but having had to do it a couple times, that's where I picked up my love for it because when you have doubled dialogue or dialogue over dialogue, mm-hmm. that section of the script is like five extra hours of rehearsal. Just work- easily, yeah, easily. Like you can you can rehearse, uh, you know, a whole a whole play or a whole film. You know, and once you've got your lines down, you can rehearse yep. the whole thing in the runtime, which is like maybe two hours. Exactly. But when you get to doubled bits, you stop and you run them and run them and run them. Cause, Dude. Yeah, go. <laughs> so, you know, so in theater, you know how if you have any fight work to do, you have a fight call. Right. And you work out you work out your fight scene before before you go. You do it every time. Doesn't matter how many times you've done the show, a 300th time. You have your fight call. You work through your beats so nobody gets hurt. Several times in Spamalot and a couple other shows that I was in, I would have a fight call with some of my other actors, but it was for those scenes that were doubling dialogue, pinballing dialogue back and forth, and overlapping dialogue. We would fucking have fight call for those dialogue beats it's every like, fucking show it's kind of like sparring with dialogue yeah in a way so it makes you and you got to find the extra time to sell it because when this is when this is done badly it's, it's awful horrible. it's like it's the hardest thing to watch when this yeah because not only doesn't it land but you can tell that they are you if you can tell that your actor's uncomfortable Right. Or suddenly gotten themselves off, and it's not not only is it not working as the gag, but you also are now hyper aware that this is also not working for them. Right, right. And that's real not pleasant it, to, to it's, watch. It's one of the easiest places to see a glaring error. Sometimes, absolutely, like slurred dialogue or whatever can just be care. You write it off as a sure. character trait, or absolutely. oh yeah, he he meant to deliver it that way. But when you can tell that this is trying to happen but not come yeah. together it's just like never work no dude it's like an open sore on the movie like and I, you've that's seen why it. i would this is why i would never want to be in 
I want to do it. Like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I'm terrified and also just enamored by that script because it's all that. All of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's like double talk and talking over and like I think so close dialogues and quips. It's like, fuck. The, ah! What what blows me away is like this is that David Mamet thing. Like David yes, Mamet is yes. famous oh for writing dialogue. Like, like Gary that. Glenn Ross and shit. That's Mamet, I, right? I, yeah, yeah. I always think yeah. of Oleana. Like Oleana is just like two people talking into over and together the whole fucking time. And I think there's only like two people in the play. So the it's like hours of you doing just this kind of dialogue. That's why Mammoth is such a when Mammoth's done well, Mammoth's so amazing, but to be to do it is such a fucking you got to have everyone's got to be on their A game because he I just you just fill me with so much anxiety. I know, like like, doesn't about like I know, like, if someone called you tomorrow and they're like, Kyle, we've got a film opportunity for you, and you're like, I'm in. And they're like, it's Mamet. And you're like, I got to think about it. I got to think about it. (laughs) Hey, Mamet. (laughs) Hey, Mamet. You know, but this, by the way, so to take it back to Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, the reason I brought that scene up is because this is such a great example of this done so well. Yeah. Dude, they have their beats figured out. They're jumping in and out of each other's dialogue. They're simultaneous. They're doubling some dialogue, and then one or the other of them will fade out. Impeccably rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Impeccably delivered. So good. I was I was so delighted with that when I saw it. I was like, this is it's that juggling thing. It's, it is. It's an, you, they don't need to add this little extra layer of difficulty, but in so doing, they really do elevate that. This Absolutely. And you know what? You know what? Even what sells that scene even more, which is hard to believe because they're so genius in what they're doing, right. is depending on who is speaking, Juliet has a different expression on her face. Right. She's like, calm. If <laughs> yeah. If it's Rigby, if it's Rigby, she's like, like sort of in awe and listening like yes of course you did and right. if it's him if it's a if it's carl reiner she's like how dare you i know she like they're saying the both the same <laughs> the same bit of information but depending on who is speaking she has the different expression her, her yeah face. her react we get to see her reaction shots change like in a one shot she looks at steve and she's yeah right she's like enamored with rigby's <gasps> intelligence but then she looks over at carl reiner and she like squints all mad at him like you dastardly villain and back to it's dude it's so funny it's so so good. Um, right before that too, when he like uh he slides down and gets all the Nazis to like sit down, he's like, "You over there? Time for like, uh, tall taller ones in the back, taller ones in the back, shorter ones sitting shorter down ones in the front. Yeah, uh, arrange yourselves in order of height. Now sit down, hold hands. Now smile. <laughs> they all smile, and he's arranged them in like a class, like class a class photo. photo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! It's it's honestly it's so funny. I I have, I have no more real notes. Do you have any more thoughts on this movie? I'm I'm just so it's so creative. This is such yeah. a unique movie. I I know that things like this have been done since, but like this to me really feels like the the most honest, creative, yeah. unique expression of this idea that I've seen. It's it's totally of its genre of its yes. like poking fun at genre it's 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 it holds up as like crime noir you know what i mean it does i love it it really I, does the, by I, like i said at the beginning by far my favorite of the three steve martins so far um i, I have it. to agree yeah so this is the last of the carl reiner steve martin team ups that we have for april fool month right um because roxanne I, i'm i don't know i don't have the director in front of me but it's not carl reiner right. and we it's a different 
It's a different tone too. This is like pretty much a straight romantic comedy. There's a bit of otherworldly stuff in it as far as like not as over the top as like a naked gun or the jerk where some of the humor is required there to be certain rules that don't get followed like breaks in reality like a trebuchet coming out of a hotel room for right, instance or, or uh, you can turn off the subtitles now you can turn right there's none of this nothing to that extreme just one or two moments of maybe oh that wouldn't happen in real but for the most this is the next movie in the is Roxanne and it is going to be a little more of your your typical uh, romantic comedy uh, which is fantastic it's one of my favorite movies as well but as far as the the trilogy of Carl Reiner, Steve Martin movies that we accidentally found ourselves watching. Um, this is not only my favorite right. of the three we've watched. It's my favorite Steve Martin movie. It's my favorite, uh, one of my favorite comedies and one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I, I dig it. It's uh, and We're not affiliated with Prime, but I was very pleasantly surprised to see that it's to rent it was three ninety nine and to buy it's like five bucks to like own this movie forever. Dead Men Don't Wear on Amazon, yeah, I bought it for five bucks. I'm like, I couldn't find my DVD. I'm like, what the fuck is my DVD? Fuck, I gotta rent something I own. I'm like, oh, five bucks for HD. Okay. You know, that, dude, that is the fucking danger of Amazon Prime. I was on there yesterday um, looking for something to watch when I was feeling all shitty, and uh, Stephen King's Bag of Bones, the Pierce yeah. Brosnan one, the two-part TV miniseries thing, Five ninety eight for HD. I'm like, uh, I'll watch Bag of Bones for five ninety eight. That's a no brainer. That's especially when you're, especially when you're digging into something like The Shining, you kind of feel like you want to surround yourself with the Kingiverse in a yes. way while you're in, especially that book because it is like a hub book for the Dark Tower. Just spoilers. Which ones, The Shining or The Stand? I'm sorry, The Stand. I keep saying The Shining because I just You just did finished, your long walk I just with finished the it. Oh, actually. But no, this, The Stand is, yeah. No, let's, it's, a, uh, it's a hub world for I've noticed a lot of the shit. I have never read a Dark Tower book yet. Um, I know the first one's The Gunslinger. I'll definitely yep. be reading it. The, the first one, at least. This Spoilers, time. you're reading a Dark Tower book. You no, know, like... I read Hearts in Atlantis, too, and I was looking at <laughs> yeah. that, and I'm like, there's a lot of shit in here that I'm pretty sure is some Dark Tower type shit. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I know that he's, like, woven it into um, The Talisman is another have one. You read, have you read any of the Fantastic Four comic books? Or Marvel in general? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I okay, know... so so you've read Dark. So, so have you? Uh, have you read any of the Harry Potter books? Right. I know. I know that the Dark Tower, <laughs> the Dark Tower series, casts a wide net. Um, but yeah. So sorry. No, no, you're good. Actually, what I wanted to do was you just posted today. Your uh, was it today or yesterday that you posted? It was your... yesterday. Yesterday. So yeah. You just put up uh, the next installment of your Long Walk with the King series. Yes. Yeah. And you yeah. just did The Shining, right? Yep. All right. That so is correct. I I have not read the most recent draft of it yet. I just got your text this last night about it when I was high and feeling shitty. No <laughs> But um, I had read an earlier draft of this. So mm -hmm. do you want to point people to where they can go and read that? Because it's pretty Absolutely. freaking outstanding. Absolutely. Thank you. It's carlmichaelhartley.com. K-A-R-L-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-H-A-R-T-L-E-Y. It's my first, middle, and last name, dot .com. Uh, it's a bare bones website. The only thing that lives there is my long walk with the king. It's just a blog site. But uh, The Shining I put up yesterday it took me almost a full year to get through that. Right. Because, you know, 2020 was a weird year. And I... I make reference to that in the piece itself, um, but uh, you'll find I have a write-up on on uh, Rage that he wrote as Richard Bachman. I also have Carrie um, and Salem's Lot, 
over there for anyone that's interested to read a little bit more about who I am and my connection with Stephen King averse and I, kind of my musings on the subject. I remember uh I remember that you had announced, you'd told me because you'd been working on this since well before the pandemic started. And I remember like right before the pandemic started, you were just saying like, oh yeah, I'm on the shining now. This was kind of the big one for you too. I think it was the, it's like, the this book is that- the, it's the book that, that jumpstarted my curiosity into books in general and, and specifically Stephen King. It was my, the beginning of sort of like the love of I'm your number one fan. Right. So right. Shit, right? So, Cause it was so- such good. Yeah, because it was a movie that is not even related to Stephen King that that made me curious about Stephen King and, and the horror genre. It was a fucking Dan Aykroyd movie called My Stepmother is an Alien. And there's a scene where Kim Basinger plays an alien that's trying to figure out, you know, humans and shit. And she's uh-huh. in Dan Aykroyd's house and there's a, a bunch of books on a on a shelf and she picks up The Shining and she has the ability to absorb information just by like laying her hand inside of a book she can consume the book in one little book because she's an alien it's a thing right okay so she picks up the shining she puts her hand in the book and she just like loses her shit she's like (laughs) what the fuck is that (laughs) and as a kid watching that i'm like what the fuck is that book that made this alien creature so horrified and disgusted right my dad's like oh that's the shining it's written by this guy stephen king i'm like okay well one i need to figure out who that is and i need to find that book uh it's interesting but anyway it's no it's I think it's cool that we both came to King through the same door because I had never seen The Shining growing up. I made it all the way to college not having seen it. And finally, um, my wife, Bird, was like, have you have you ever read – she's like, have you ever read The Shining? And I'm like, no, because I was looking for good horror novels. I'm like, I wish yeah. there were better horror novels. But I, back at that point, I was probably 20. And mm-hmm. I had I had that same kind of like early co- I mean maybe not that old I might have been nineteen and I was like that early college thing of like well I only read literature I don't read popular novels and things like I've I've been since <laughs> right. dramatically cured of that stupid ass bias but Bird was like you want a good horror novel but you've never read any single book by Stephen King I'm like no never he's he's one of those popular novelists she's like read The Shining I read The mm-hmm. Shining. I read The Shining in like I'm a slow reader, and I read The Shining in like three nightmarish nights. So fucking scary. And now my dude, that was the moment that I learned that like smart books are fine. You know, like oh yes, I'm reading Dante's Inferno. Of course, yeah, they have their place. They totally do. But bro, if you are skipping out, like if you're skipping Stephen King and Michael Connelly and John Grisham and stuff because they're air quotes popular. Then you are fucking up because oh yep, my god, sure the, are. <laughs> the Shining is exceptional, dude. It's outstanding. The Stand is super good. I love the Jack Reacher move um, novels, dude. They're yeah. so fucking great, <laughs> dude. Hell yeah! Like the the crime fiction of Michael Connelly is yes. outstanding. Like there's there's so many books out there that I remember being like eighteen, nineteen, and looking at him and being like. Oh no, I'm going to read Milton. I had like a two year period where I thought I was just going to be like the super genius, but I'm so glad that I got back into that bird kind of gave me the push back into the Vulgate because like, listen, stop being an asshole and read something amazing. That's where it's alive. I'm telling you, like, have you read any of his newer shit? The outsider is fucking outrageously good. I'm going in chronological order of his release. It's going to be a minute. (laughs) Oh my God. I know it's so good. There's a, what the hell he just did. a. I think there's one, he did it for hard case crime recently called later. I started. I think it's called later, and I started listening to the audiobook. Bro, 
like Stephen King, everyone's like, he's getting pretty old. He's putting out three books a year. Can't possibly keep it up. False. False. <laughs> Dude, he's at his top of his game. He's just slaying. <laughs> Everything he puts out is so fucking good. Oh, anyway. And you know, and you know how he writes his books? You know what his method is? One word at a time. One word at a time. <laughs> fucking incredible, man. <laughs> All right. Well, that has been another episode of uh, Stephen King. Love Stephen Cast. King Corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So stay tuned. Um. If so, be to. I'll try and start saying this at the end of episodes so that listeners and us can get more used to the flow. So next week, our next edition of um, April Fools, Steve Martin is going to be over on Patreon.com/slash Quillenfilm. Q U I L L A N D F I L M. Um, if you want to follow along, half of our series is over on Patreon now. We're going back and forth between the main season and the Patreon. So we're going to wrap up Steve Martin Month with Roxanne over on the Patreon. And then, ladies and gentlemen, just to get you get your engines revved up and ready, we'll be rolling right on into Automobile. <laughs> It's a song, right? The yeah, can't drive the 55. I think that's going to be how we... I'm going to go out with just you going 55. <laughs>